Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church family. Hope you are having a great Sunday morning. Thanks for tuning in, whether you are watching on Facebook or YouTube. We're glad that you have joined us for Church Online this morning. Well, um, I hope you are ready to receive from God. I've been praying for you, praying for everybody that hears this message, for God to speak to them today. And I believe that God wants to speak to you today. Amen. So just have a posture in your heart. Be ready to receive because God wants to speak this morning. Four years ago, September 18, 2016 to be exact, we launched the Grace Place NYC inside of PS. 87 in the Upper West Side. We launched with 82 people there that day, including a handful that came from Texas to support us and some friends from other parts of the country as well that came to support us. Ticho and Michelle might be the only ones left that are still with us from that initial launch service. And Ticho and Michelle, we honor you for that. We know it's not easy Uh, living in New York City, and as your family has grown from two to four as well. And we just appreciate you so much for being with us and taking this journey with us. And so we honor you today and appreciate you. A lot of transition and coming and going has happened throughout our journey. We've gone through so much as a community, as a church family, over the past four years. Me going through chemotherapy as we were launching the church, Moving from the Upper West Side to Hamilton Heights two years ago, which was, I believe, a game changer for us as a church. Going through a global pandemic together where our city was the epicenter for several months. We did this together. Many of you have gone through many changes over the years yourselves. But against many odds, we are still here. Amen? We are still standing. We are still a church in New York City against many, many odds. I say this every year on our church's birthday, but it is so true. God has been faithful. He is the real reason that we're still here. Here's the reason that we haven't packed up and left the city. It's because of God's faithfulness to provide. Amen. There have been many times over the past four years where I wondered if the church was going to survive, but God's hand has been on this church from the moment We arrived in New York City on July 5th of 2015 and through the launch of our church in 2016 all the way until today as we celebrate our four-year birthday. God's hand has been on the Grace Place NYC and it's been very, very evident. Jesus loves our church and he has a plan for this church and it's just going to get better and better and better. Listen to the words of Jesus concerning the church in Matthew 16, 18. He says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I declare that the gates of hell will not prevail against TGP NYC. No weapon formed against our church will prosper because the hand of God and the call of God is all over our church, and he has a purpose and a plan for us to prosper and move into the future 
and he wants to just make our reach and our influence bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So I declare what Jesus declared over the church 2,000 years ago today, that the gates of hell will not prevail against our church. I think we can all tangibly feel the divisiveness, anger, suspicion, and frustration uh, that surrounds our country today. These feelings are true of people outside of the church as well as folks inside of the church. I think this is due to a number of reasons. I don't think it's just one reason. I think there's a plethora of reasons why there is so much divisiveness in our country right now. I think the extended lockdowns because of the pandemic have definitely contributed. I think people being at home, not being able to go anywhere, just stuck at home in their thoughts has has just created so much frustration and anger and suspicion and and divisiveness. I think it being an election year, I, I think that has something to do with it. Every election year, the voices get louder, people get more divisive, people get angrier, more confrontive all of those things. So I think that's contributed to it. But I think a big one that's contributed to the toxicity in our nation right now is the shift in how we speak to one another, especially it's permeated on social media for sure. It seems like we are no longer allowed to have conversation in which we disagree with one another. If we disagree, we yell at each other, and then we simply cancel each other out and don't talk to each other anymore. We don't anymore. We're not allowed to have conversation. Uh, And far be it from us to try to find any common ground. It's just, it seems like more and more that just doesn't exist where people, you know, they might be on polar opposites when it comes to political things, but they try to find some common ground. That That's just that people don't do that anymore. It's just like we if we disagree, we yell and then we cancel each other out. We yell and then and then we delete people off Facebook. We yell and we delete people off Instagram. That's how we function now and nobody makes any progress when there's no dialogue and conversation. In an article in Influence magazine I was reading this week, Don Everts said, "As our nation has shifted from modernity to postmodernity in recent years, the Christian church has moved from the center of society to the margins. As a result, Christians who for a long time have enjoyed a sort of home field advantage are beginning to feel more like the visiting team. I think many of us can identify with this feeling right now. And I think the older that you are, I think the more that you could feel like the visiting team in our current moment. I think we can feel like the visiting team when it comes to our belief about sexuality and marriage. I I think we can feel like the visiting team when we are cast as as the villain because we want to protect the rights of the unborn. I think because of the way many believers think the direction of our country is going when it comes to her morals, values, and freedoms, there is a great, great temptation to want to just punch back at the culture to want to punch back at people who we disagree with, to treat people who don't view the world the way we do as the world treats each other. Even Jesus once quoted a popular saying from his day in Matthew 5.43, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the posture that many Christians have unfortunately chosen to take in this season. 
to fight, get angry with, and demonize and dehumanize people who don't have the same value systems that you do. Hating your enemy feels natural and right to our flesh, but we know Jesus didn't just stop there. Jesus goes on to say in verse 44 of Matthew 5, But I say to you, you have heard it was said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, church, as we enter year four of the life of our church, we find ourselves in a unique place in our neighborhood, city, and nation. As believers, we must flee the temptation to fight back in ungodly ways. We must resist the temptation to fight as the world does, or even the way we see some Christians fighting back right now. We must flee the temptation to hide behind a political stance. And here's what I mean by that. The temptation to say, because I am a Republican, I can't care for deeply a certain group or groups of people. Or because I'm a Democrat, I can't stand up for an issue that's clearly biblical. In this cultural moment, this is our opportunity to show unbelievers and believers alike that we are for the neighborhood. In year four, this is our moment to show that we are for the neighborhood, which is the title of my message today, For the Neighborhood. As we're entering into year four of the life of our church, what does it look like to be for the neighborhood? Well, one thing that we're going to do as a church this year is we're going to pursue the common good of the neighborhood while being exiled. We're going to pursue the common good of the neighborhood while being exiles. When the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians in 597 BC, many of the Israelites were taken captive to live in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and he had sieged and, and took over the city. And there were false prophets, false Jewish prophets who were going around telling people that the captivity, that the exile was going to, going to only be a short period of time. But that was not what God was saying. That was not what God was doing. Their captivity was not going to be short, but it was actually going to be long. So God, through the prophet Jeremiah, writes the captives in Babylon a letter about how to live as exiles in a foreign land. And so I want to pick up the text in Jeremiah 29, 4-7. And this is what God spoke to the exiles in Babylon through the prophet Jeremiah as he penned a letter to them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, talking about the city, you too will prosper. God here tells the exiled Israelites to allow themselves to take root in Babylon, the place that they were taken captive in, the place where they were being oppressed in, the place where they had lost their freedom and they had been taken from their homes. They had been taken from 
their place of residence. They had been taken from the place that they had grown up in and taken to this foreign land. And God tells the exiled Israelites to take root in this exiled land. He tells them to build houses and settle down. He tells them to plant gardens and eat from those gardens that you uh, have planted. God is telling the Israelites to take ownership of the place in which they are exiled in. Become a part of the community. Start businesses in your communities that hold godly ethical values. He's saying, don't hide, don't hibernate, don't run, but settle down in the neighborhood and let your roots grow down deep into the ground. He's saying, add to the economic prosperity of the community. Add value to the place where you live. He's saying, pray for the city you find yourself in. Pray for the city's prosperity because when the city prospers, you will prosper. God also tells them to multiply and increase in their place of exile. He says, get married and have lots of children. He he says, build families. Build a legacy of family and multiplication there. Don't let the place you're currently in keep you from increasing and expanding. Family is the building block of any society. When the family unit is broken down, that can be traced back to so many of the issues facing our neighborhoods and and communities like poverty and and crime and and a a lack of education and long-term stability. All of these things can be traced back. Even abortion can be traced back to a breakdown of the family unit. In a very real way, believers in America today feel like exiles in their own country. Like I mentioned earlier, we feel like we've lost home field advantage and are part of the visiting team right now. I've heard people say, I don't even recognize the country that I call home anymore. I don't even recognize it. Sunday is no longer a day set apart as the Lord's day in our society. There used to be a time when Sundays were kind of sacred and set apart for church, right? But now it's like any other day of the week. Kids' sporting events are on Sundays. People sleep in and then go to brunch on Sundays. There's no sacredness to it. Even committed Christians, pre-COVID, they were considered faithful attenders if they came one or two times a month. Because we are exiles living on this earth, we can either become angry, cynical, and confrontational, or we can find a different way, the Jesus way. God told the exiled Jews to pray for their enemies, to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. It would make sense for the Jewish people to rebel and to fight back to their oppressors. But God told them to trust him in this situation. You root yourselves in that place of exile and you trust me that I will get you out of this place when it's my time. But until then, build houses, have children, build families, get rooted, start businesses, plant gardens, eat from those gardens, pray for your city, pray for the prosperity of your city. All of those things. In fact, like I mentioned earlier, nationalistic prophets kept urging the Jewish people to not cooperate with the Babylonians and that if they would wait it out, captivity would end in two or three years. But that was a false prophecy. God had a plan, but that did not include a short captivity, but a 70-year captivity. Our vocation as believers is to embody the love of Jesus to our neighbors, and to live out the life of Christ in our community. Let's now look at 
the early church in Asia Minor in the New Testament who were dealing with an increased hostility toward them from the Roman Empire. We looked at an Old Testament example. Let's now look at a New Testament example. The church in Asia Minor, they were being persecuted, insulted, and often made the scapegoat for problems arising in society. Let's see if there is a change of tone and a call to fight, oppose, and confront here in the New Testament. Here's Peter speaking to these persecuted churches in Asia Minor in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The Apostle Peter in this passage uses the Greek word parapitomai as a word for exiles, a, a word that we sometimes translate as resident aliens or a temporary resident. Tim Keller says in his book, Center Church, that uh, the parapitomai were citizens of one country and yet full-time residents of another. Their primary allegiance was to another country and that country's culture was formative for their beliefs and practices. Yet they lived in their country of residence as full participants in its life. In other words, resident aliens lived neither as natives nor as tourists. Though they were not permanently rooted, neither were they merely travelers who were just passing through. And this is the Greek word that Peter used for these Christians and how they were to live in these persecuted, hostile territories as they were trying to also embody Christ, preach the gospel, and build churches. They were citizens of heaven, as Paul tells us in Philippians, yet they were also an important part of their neighborhood and communities. Peter, in this passage we just read, was echoing what his rabbi Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. He's, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works is not legalism. Good works is actually a form of evangelism. Both Jesus and Peter say, let your good works speak for themselves so that unbelievers will glorify God because of your good works. When Jesus calls the church a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, what he's saying here is that communities of Christ followers are to be God's neighborhood inside or within every earthly neighborhood. The church should be a bright light that honors and glorifies Jesus in the community that we find ourselves in. That's why it's so important for the church to have a good reputation in the neighborhood. That's why it's very important that the church uses wisdom and discernment in how we move forward in issues and in the culture, right? Being a city on a hill means that we are called into the neighborhood. However, we are not to adopt its values or lose our distinctiveness because our values come from a heavenly city. Our values come from 
the Word of God. Our values come from the God that lives outside of this world. Obviously, He is inside of all of us, but His values don't come from culture. His values, God's values don't come from inside the world, but outside of the world. The moment we adopt the secular values of the neighborhood, our light is snuffed out. We are not to look down on our neighbors because of their brokenness, but moved by compassion and empathy because of it. Peter, in his passage, commands us as exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against our souls. Those desires in us that want to hate and lash out on people from the other political side. Those desires. We need to abstain from those desires. Those desires in us to look at broken people and look down on them. Those desires in us to dress like the world, talk like the world, and party like the world. Those desires that that make us want to have the same sexual ethic that the world does. Those desires in us that want to achieve power and success as a means of self-worth. To prop ourselves up. Both Jesus and his apprentice Peter says that our good works as resident aliens done with pure motives will cause unbelievers to glorify Jesus. Can I just be honest with you for a moment, church? Our goal as believers is to glorify God in a way that sinners, people who are far from God, broken people, come into relationship with Jesus. People who are far from God come near to God, and their broken lives are made whole. People who are broken because they're workaholics, because they're just trying to achieve success, because they don't have anything eternal to live for, so they're just living for this world. We want those people to find Jesus. We want those people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, who are totally and utterly broken, and they're messing up their lives and their relationships, that we want those people to come close and near to God so he can put the pieces of their lives back together. That is our heart. That is our goal as believers. Our goal is not to win some culture war, right? Our goal is not to have power in our country. Our goal is not to have the most comfortable, easy life that we possibly can. Our goal Our main goal in life is not even to to necessarily have religious freedom in this country. Yeah, we want religious freedom. Yeah, we desire and we appreciate. We're so thankful. But but that's not our main goal. Our main goal is to live our lives in a way that glorifies Jesus and brings sinners close. Or brings sinners back to God. Brings people who are far from God and are separated from God near to God. This is how I feel. As Christians living in America... We should do everything in our power to uphold Christian values, right? I think we should. But we shouldn't feel hopeless as things move away in our nation from adhering to those values. I hear Christians and I hear hopelessness in their voices when a decision is made, when a law is passed that is contrary to Scripture. We shouldn't feel hopeless Because Christ is living inside of us. Our faith is not dependent on a law. Our faith is not dependent on a political party. Our faith is not dependent on who the president is. 
Our faith is dependent on Jesus and Jesus is living inside of us. So regardless of the direction our country moves in, the church has its marching orders from the word of God and from its king, Jesus. So we shouldn't feel hopeless no matter what. Amen? In fact, all of the New Testament is written to people who not only did not live in a Christian nation because that didn't even exist, but lived under a very secular, oppressive government where Caesar was Lord. Let me now shift into some vision for this upcoming season for the church. In year four, my heart is to strengthen community partnerships. That's my heart. That's my desire. To strengthen our partnership with Metro and what they're doing for the children in our neighborhood. They're impacting children on a weekly basis. They're impacting children digitally. We just had a virtual camp where I believe they had 500 kids around New York City join in in their camp and they were able to share the gospel with 500 kids. They are impacting children in our neighborhood every week and we want to strengthen that partnership this year. We want to strengthen our partnership with the monthly prayer walk that is happening in our neighborhood, which Michelle is a part of. We want to strengthen our partnership with the 30th Precinct and the Clergy Council, which I'm a part of. We want to strengthen these relationships and these partnerships in year four for the glory of God and for the peace and prosperity of our neighborhood. Here's where my mind is as we look to being for the neighborhood in year four. Here, here's where my mind and heart is going. How can we add value to and strengthen our relationship with PS 153, the school that we met in for church until COVID happened? even though we're not meeting there currently and for the near future, we won't be meeting there. How can we strengthen and add value to them as they're navigating having school for kids in this COVID era? How can we be a blessing to them? That, that's where my mind is shifting and going. How can we as the church contribute to lowering crime in Hamilton Heights? Instead of just complaining about it, instead of just whining about it, instead of just being scared? What can we do as Christians that are filled with the Spirit of God? What can we do to contribute to lowering the crime in our neighborhood? How can we as a church help with the uptick in gang violence in our neighborhood? How can we do something about it? I want us to think through these things. I want us to put our brains together. I want us to put our prayers together and figure these things out for our neighborhood this year and make a greater impact this year. How can we help small businesses thrive in the neighborhood? So many small businesses have been just drastically impacted by COVID. And how can we as the church help contribute and be a blessing to the small businesses in our neighborhood? I believe with all my heart as I'm closing this message today that the best is yet to come for the Grace Place NYC. I believe with all of my heart that we have not seen anything yet that God is going to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we have ever thought, dreamed of, or imagined in this next season of the life of our church. I believe that he wants to increase and expand our reach and increase and expand our influence. He wants to take our church to the next level. I believe that God has big plans for the Grace Place NYC. And I want all of us 
that call the Grace Place NYC home. I want all of us to be a part of this. I want all of us to be a part of the movement of the spirit that God is doing in Hamilton Heights and in New York City. And I believe that God is inviting us to be a part of the move of God in the city this year. This has been the craziest year I've ever had in my life. And I think it's safe to say this might be the craziest year that you've ever had in your life. But I truly believe that God is working behind the scenes. God is working in ways that we can't see, but we're about to witness and we're about to see manifested the working of God through all of the craziness and the chaos and the unrest that we've had in this country. I believe that God is up to something big and I want the Grace Place NYC to play its part in what God is doing. Amen. I believe that year four will be our greatest year will be our most prosperous year, will be our most effective year. I truly believe that. And I want you, church, to be a part of that. Let's just let God do something incredible. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.